Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and they're pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house... He allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the mother and father of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. When God's Word spends a fair bit of time hammering the same message, that should be a bit of a heads up for us that that this is really important stuff. And we're in a section of Luke where the focus is on the power of Jesus. And the examples just keep on coming week after week. And and in each each case, it's a power that means that Jesus has authority. He has power over the natural physical world. We saw that when he stilled the storm. And then we saw the way he has power over the spirit world when he cast out a whole legion of demons and a crazy demon-possessed man came to his right mind. He has power over sickness and disease. When when a woman with a flow of blood touched him in a crowd, uh, she was instantly healed of something that she had ailed her for 12 years. And he even has power over death. He took Jairus' dead daughter by the hand and said, Child, arise. And she got up and had breakfast. All of this is pointing to who Jesus is the type of power that he has and the type of authority that Jesus has 
Jesus is doing over and over and over again things that only God can do. So we're in a section that's been highlighting the power of Jesus, but more than that, it's been opening our eyes to the divinity of Jesus. That means the godness of Jesus, him being God. And today's Bible reading brings in the logical response to that. If Jesus is God, if Jesus has all power and all authority, what's the logical response to this? Faith. Faith. And as disciples of Jesus, that's what we live by. We live by faith. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, what it really means to live by faith. Righto, so Jesus has just returned to the western side of the lake. As they sailed across to the eastern side of Lake Galilee, that's where they had the storm on the lake. And then there on the eastern bank, once they got there, that's where they met with the man who was possessed by demons and, and Jesus drove the demons out. And now they've crossed back over again, back onto the western shore, and there's a crowd there who's waiting for him. And there amongst the crowd was a bloke by the name of Jairus. He's the ruler of the synagogue. Pretty important bloke in the town. Right? He wasn't one of the hierarchy who were part of head office of the, of the temple in Jerusalem. This bloke was in charge of the local synagogue, the local place of worship, where the locals would gather for worship most weeks and then just on the extra special days of the year, they'd go for a trip to Jerusalem to the temple. And Jairus, understandably, is really worried for his daughter. His 12-year-old daughter was on the verge of death. And he fell at Jesus' feet and he just begged him, Jesus, can you please come to my place? And so Jesus is on his way to, to see this very sick preteen. And the crowds are pressing in around him. And there in the jostle, Jesus perceives, that, that means that he... He knows that healing power has gone out from him. And Jesus says, who was that? Who was that that touched me? And everyone goes, not me. No, no, not me. Awkward. And the whole crowd of people. And Jesus says, who touched me? And oh, it wasn't me. And finally, Peter points out the obvious. Well, well Jesus, um, you, know, you, you know that you're surrounded by crowds and everyone's Everyone's pressing in on you. Of course, everyone's bumping into you. What do you mean somebody's touched you? But, but Jesus said, someone touched me because I know that power has gone out from me. Um, he, Jesus is saying it wasn't just an accidental touch. It wasn't just that somebody bumped into him. A healing event had been sought and a healing event had taken place. And Jesus knew it. And when the woman saw that, that, okay, Jesus knew about it, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of everybody there that she was the one who touched him and she told them why she touched him and she told them that when she touched him, she was immediately healed. Why was she trembling? Why was she so afraid? Well, getting healed is something that she wanted to do in secret, but she'd been found out. But why did she want to do it in secret? Well, we're not told why. But I think we can have a pretty good idea. I, I suspect it's probably because she was embarrassed and ashamed. There's certain conditions that a person has that we don't want people to know about. 
But not only that, there's certain conditions that make other people think of us in strange ways or not so nice ways. This woman had suffered greatly. She, she had a flow of blood for 12 years. Um, now, these days, you just go to the gynae and get fixed, I think. I don't know if they can fix everything. Um, but she had a blow, flow of blood for 12 years. And she'd spent everything that she could earn on the doctors. Everything she could earn went straight to, try and, straight to the doctors to try and heal her. And not one of them could help her. But she would have been ashamed because that flow of blood made her ceremonially unclean. For 12 years, she wouldn't have been allowed by the law to lay with her husband. She wouldn't have been allowed by law to go to the temple. And anyone who touched her would have been seen as being unclean. And I suspect that that's why she did it in secret. She just snuck up behind Jesus, touched the fringe of his shirt. I mean, Jesus is on his way to the home of a very important person, the ruler of the synagogue. Um, she would never be allowed in that home. And I doubt Jesus would have been allowed in that home if, if it was known that he'd just been in contact with somebody who was unclean. So she came up behind him and just reached out and touched the fringe of his garment. And that is where the mercy of God took over. And immediately, immediately, you're getting this? Immediately, the discharge of blood stopped, just like that. And then she confesses, it, it was me, and this is what happened, and this is why I touched you. No one was able to heal her, but when she reached out, and all she did was touch the fringe of Jesus' shirt. That's when she was healed, completely. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It wasn't her touching Jesus' clothes that made her well. It was her faith in Jesus. The faith that made her reach out to Jesus that's what made her well. The only thing that she did wrong is she wanted to keep it private. But Jesus wanted her testimony to be heard. And there's a lesson in this for us. Sometimes I think we want to keep our faith way too private. And I've had people say to me at times, you know, my faith, it's a very private thing for me. I don't, I want to keep it to myself. I don't want to talk about it to anyone. But faith isn't meant to be private. As disciples of Jesus, we declare the wonderful things that God has done. That's what brings God glory. See, us being saved by the blood of Jesus, that's wonderful. That's amazing. What brings God glory? Us being saved? Well, yes. But what brings him even more glory? It's when we share the joy of this with others. And it brings glory to God. And it's testifying to the wonderful mercies of God. And so the woman, when she came to Jesus, she had suffered an embarrassing condition for years. And for her, there was no peace for her. Her condition meant that she was ceremonially unclean, as we said. And so for 12 years, she wasn't allowed to attend the temple to meet with God. But the temple was the place where a person was supposed to meet with God. That was the place where you came in contact with God. That's the place where you worship God. 
And she couldn't do that for 12 years. How could she have peace when she couldn't meet with God? But even so, in Jesus, she had the perfect opportunity to meet with God. And she tried to sneak away. Jesus wanted more for her than for her to sneak away, still fearful and trembling. Because even when she'd been healed, she was still trembling with fear. Even though her faith had brought her to Jesus and even though she had been physically healed at that point, it wasn't until she met with Jesus and when she spoke with Jesus and when she entered into relationship with Jesus and when she declared the mercy of Jesus, that's when Jesus could pronounce to her that she had peace. Now, some people, they, they come to church, they want to check out this Christianity thing for a whole lot of reasons. Some might have problems they want fixed. Some might have financial problems. Some might be at a crossroads in their life and, and they want some guidance for what's the next step. Some folk, their marriage might be falling apart and they want God to fix it. Some folk might have a sickness or a disease that they want to be healed of. Some people might have a, a sense of guilt that they want to be relieved of. And so they come to church hoping that they're going to get the quick fix and then they can sneak out the back door and never be seen again. Just seeking a quiet touch and then slip into the background. But true peace and true healing, permanent healing, only comes when we are in relationship with Jesus. A true faith draws us into a very deep and a very satisfying relationship with our Lord. If you, you want to come to church and get a, a quiet touch from Jesus and then slip out the back, back door again, you're in the wrong place. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. How would we feel if our kids did that to us? You know, it was when I became a, a dad, that's when I understood so much better what it means for God to be our heavenly father. Any parent here understands very well what kind of relationship they want to have with their children. We don't want to have the relationship with our kids. Kids only come to us when they want something, when they want something to eat or when they want some money for something or when they need a hand with something. How do we feel if our kids only come to us when, we, when they want something and then we don't see them again until next time we, they want something? Right? That's, we want to have a deep relationship with our children, don't we? Yeah. Why do so many of us treat God like that? We treat God only as if we only come to him when we need something. Our Heavenly Father longs to be in a very deep, meaningful relationship with us. And to be in relationship with our Heavenly Father, that's where the source of peace comes Righto, so let's move on. Meanwhile, while all this interaction's been happening with this woman, Jairus' daughter, who was on the verge of death, has now died. That would be the most devastating thing, to have a child die. A messenger came to Jairus, your daughter's dead, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Now, when I read that, that made me think of the time that King David's son was desperately ill. 
And while he was still alive, David fasted. He wouldn't eat anything and he lay on the ground and his servants were pretty worried about him. But then when the child died, the servant sort of said, I don't think we can tell him. Well, if he's like this, when the kid's still alive, what's he going to be like when we tell him that he's dead? But David could hear him muttering in the background and he said, he's died, hasn't he? Yeah, he's died. And at that point, David got up, he had a bath, put on some clean clothes, went to the temple and worshipped God. Once they're dead, there's nothing you can do about it anymore. And that was basically the message that Jairus received. Your daughter's dead. No point bothering Jesus anymore. But Jesus overheard that message. And see, Jairus' servant didn't know that Jesus still could do something about it. Because Jesus has power and authority even over death. And Jesus spoke straight into this situation. He said, do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. And of course, the outcome is Jesus raised her back to life. Now, does that mean that whenever anyone that we love dies, all we have to do is believe that they're going to be raised and they too will come back to life? Now, some people claim that. But no, it doesn't mean that. And this is what faith is about. And this is what living by faith is about. Faith is not about claiming things as promises. Faith is not about believing that what I want to happen is going to happen. Faith is about believing in Jesus, right? If we can get this clear in our minds that this is what faith is, faith is believing in Jesus, and faith is believing that what Jesus has said will happen. This is what faith is. And in this case, Jesus said to Jairus, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. Now, if the Son of God said that to Jairus, if the Son of God, the one who has power and authority over life and death, said to Jairus, only believe, and this daughter of yours who's, who's died, she's going to be well. What should Jairus believe? She's going to be well. Because that particular individual who had died, Jesus had said, would be well. Therefore, he could have every confidence that she would be. But the trouble comes when the promise that was given to Jairus that his daughter will be raised when that promise for Jairus is claimed by another person as a promise to themselves. Um, and so they expect that their loved one is going to come back to life. And when that happens, they will generally be bound for disappointment because they're claiming a promise for themselves that doesn't exist. That was a promise for Jairus and for his daughter. Are you with me? Jairus' faith wasn't based on a feeling. Jairus's faith wasn't based on a hope. And it wasn't based on a promise made to somebody else. It wasn't 
that Jairus said, well, I've seen somebody else's daughter raised, therefore, if I believe, mine will also be raised. His faith was based on a clear word of the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, who spoke specifically, clearly, and directly to him. Right? Now, those things are important. A clear word of Jesus spoken specifically, clearly, and directly to him. And you know what? We have a similar hope. The Lord Jesus Christ has made a very clear statement, a very direct statement that applies directly to those who believe in him. And that is that they, will be, they also will be raised. They will be raised in glory when Jesus returns. You know, some people say, oh, yes, but they treat that hope as if, oh, that's the second best. That's the second best hope. You know, the, 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 main, the big hope that we want is to be raised now. No, that's not the second best hope. What's the best hope? To be raised to another physical life? Or is the best hope to be raised with glory in Christ? That's where our faith is. And we can firmly place our faith there because Jesus has made this very, very clear promise. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, so we know that he has authority over death. Jesus himself was raised from the dead, so we know that he can also can raise us from the dead. And it will be raised to life in glory with Jesus. Right, so Jesus gets to the house and there's a lot of mourning and weeping going on and Jesus says, don't weep. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. And why would he say that? We know that she was dead. The, the ones who were there at the house, they laughed at Jesus because they knew she was dead. And we know that she was dead because when Jesus took her by the hand, we're told that her spirit returned to her. That means the spirit was gone. That that's means she was dead. So why would Jesus say she was sleeping and not dead? That's because that's how people of faith understand death. Death isn't the end. It's when, when we die. When we, go to, when we go to sleep at night, well, until you get pretty old, you know you're going to wake up in the morning, right? Maybe some of us aren't quite so sure anymore. Not, not mentioning anyone's names, not looking at anyone as I say that. Are you awake, Roy? <laughs> but we know we're going to wake up in the morning. It's the same when we die. When we die, people of faith understand this as and in fact, in, in the New Testament, they refer to those who have fallen asleep or those who are asleep in the Lord, right? We know that they're going to be woken again. There's going to be a really loud, noisy trumpet that wakes us up. Because we know that, that when Jesus returns, that the, even though that we've shuffled off the mortal coil, we will live again. And so Jesus goes upstairs with a few of his disciples and the girl's parents, he takes her by the hand. He says, child, arise. And a spirit returned. And she got up at once. And Jesus very practically said, I guess you'd better give her something to eat. 
And of course, the parents were amazed at that. You'd be amazed at that, wouldn't you, if you saw that happen? But he said, don't tell anyone what happened. Why would he do that? I mean, this was an enormous miracle. And yes, there were times when he would say to people, don't tell anyone. But he, he'd just come from healing this woman and he didn't let her slip away in secret. He wanted her to testify what Jesus had done. What's different about this? Why, why did he say, don't tell anyone? Of course, it was known anyway what had happened because all the people there, they knew she was dead. Jesus goes upstairs with a few others and comes down with her walking again. People were going to know about it. As I suspect, he wanted that girl to have some peace. Can you imagine what it would be like for her for the rest of her life if it was known she's the one who died and came back to life again? People go, what was it like? What was it like? Tell us again. Tell us again. What was it like when you died? Was there anyone you knew there? Who, who, who did you know? Who was there? Oh, so-and-so wasn't there. Oh, oh dear. What about my friends? Were they, did you see any of that? Can you imagine what her life would be like? That's what, that would be what defined her. Everybody would just want to know that forever. These days, she would probably be expected to write a book. By the way, it's happened. Uh, in 2010, there were two different books published. Uh, they both hit the bestsellers list and they both earned their authors a lot of money. Two different stories about two different boys who had died and gone to heaven and then when they arrived, revived again, they came back and recanted this story. They came back and told the story. Now, since then, one of those authors has recanted and said, we actually made this all up. It wasn't true. Um, the other one says, we, it is all true. But the point is, I remember that as this was happening at the time, everybody, have you read this book? Have you read this book? And the point is that it seemed that there was a whole generation who at that point based their whole belief of heaven and God and the afterlife in what they'd read in the books rather than in God's word. Now, I can understand that because when it comes to death and what happens after death, God's word reveals a little bit, but we all want to know more, don't we? I'd like to know more. You know what? I think if that's how much God's told us, that's exactly how much he wants us to know, is what's in his word. And I suspect that that's why Jesus told the parents not to tell anyone about this. In fact, he was actually quite adamant about it. He charged them. That means he ordered them. He commanded them to tell no one what had happened. The lesson today is about faith. Because of who Jesus is, God the Son, he has power. He has authority. And therefore, our faith is well placed in him. You can tell a lot about a person's faith by the language they use. It's become quite fashionable in Christian circles to, to say, I'm believing for this. 
I'm believing for that. I'm believing for a miracle. I'm believing for healing. I'm believing for a blessing. I'm believing for, right? You've all heard that? Do you know how many times that phrase is used in the New Testament? I'm believing for. I can't find it. It ain't there. The phrase is simply believe. Believe in. You see, we don't believe, and this is what faith is about. We don't believe for a miracle. That's not faith. We don't believe for a healing. That's not faith either. We don't believe for a dead person to come back to life again. That's not faith either. Faith is we believe in. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in his power, in his authority. We believe in the one who has all power and authority. And we believe that the promise that he has made will come true. That the dead will be raised when he comes in glory. Why? Because we believe in him. Now, having said that, if Jesus does make a specific and clear and direct promise to believe in him means, yeah, we believe that will happen. Jesus has the power and the authority to keep his promise. And yes, there have been instances where, where people have even been raised from the dead. It's not only Jesus who raised people from the dead. There's the case of Eutychus. And as I remember the case of Eutychus, I'm just reminded I shouldn't go on too much longer. Eutychus died of a condition called dialogue polyon. Right, that's the Greek term, and all mo most medical conditions are, are, are described in Greek terms, so it fits pretty well. Dialogue polyon means lots of words, really long talking. Paul was preaching in a room on the third story of a house, and Paul, being a typical preacher, went on and on and on. Do you know any preachers like that? I've seen a few. <laughs> oh. Mirror, 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 mirror on the wall. Who's the longest of them all? Um, anyway, Paul preached on and on and on. He, he used many words. His words just kept on coming. And as it got later and later in the night, Eutychus, who was sitting in the window frame of that house, sort of tumbled out the back of the window, hit the ground three stories down and was dead. Cause of death, dialogue polyon. The preacher used too many words. But Paul took him by the hand and he got up alive. Resurrections have happened. I've heard accounts of resurrections in my lifetime. Now, I don't know if they were genuine or not. I don't know. Um, I was present once when somebody claimed there was a resurrection. There was a, a very old man, uh, he was over 100, uh, who had a heart attack during a church service and um, there were some doctors in attendance and they revived him. They claimed that he had died and he was resurrected. I, I suspect that his spirit hadn't left him and that he was just revived. Um, I don't know. I believe resurrections probably do still happen, but they're rare. 
But there is one resurrection that is definitely promised to everyone who believes. It is for everyone who, ha- who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is when Jesus returns, the trumpet will sound. And the disciples of Jesus, those who have died in faith, with their faith firmly in him, will be raised back to life, to life eternal. And we can be sure of that. You can stake your life on that. And we do. Don't we? Jesus said to Jairus, do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. I believe Jesus would say something similar to us today. When it comes to death, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that his promises are true. Do you know what promises Jesus has made about death? I reckon the best one, find in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked that question at the end. Do you believe this? And I'm seeing some heads nodding already. Do you believe this? The world would call you crazy. The world would call you mad. That's what faith is. We believe in Jesus. We believe that his word is true. So this promise is for us. We do believe it. And if you don't believe it, you need to come and talk to me. I'm pretty sure the Lord wants you to believe it and have the utmost faith in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gift of faith. We want to thank you that we don't worship a God that's a block of wood that has no power and no authority. We worship the Lord God Almighty. We come to you through God the Son, Through Jesus, he has all power, all authority, and we thank you for this. And Lord, we thank you that your word is true, and we thank you that your promise is true, and that we can look forward with this eager expectation to being with you in person at the resurrection of the dead. Lord, help us to never fear death. Help us to hold loosely to the things of this world because uh, our hope is fixed on you. Our hope is fixed on eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.